Hello and God bless you today from Carlsbad, New Mexico. You are listening to a broadcast of New Song Christian Fellowship. We hope you enjoy the message today, and we'd love to hear from you. If anything in this message has touched you, you have a prayer request, or just want to reach out, you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash New Song Carlsbad NM. You can also mail us at Post Office Box 761, Carlsbad, New Mexico, zip code 88221. Please enjoy this message and have a very blessed day. God will never tempt you. What that literally means is, is draw you to sin. He will, however, test you. And he will test you on a regular basis. It's like going to school. God puts all of this information inside of you. You read the word, you go to church, you listen, you pray, and then God will test you on your knowledge. And the reason he does that is because just like in school, he wants you to get smarter and stronger because your enemy is not just a pushover. And your enemy hates you and he's trying to kill you. He's trying to destroy your family, trying to destroy your finances, trying to destroy your joy. Come on. And you're not going to let him do it. Amen? It's like we're struggling with this dog uh, that we have at home. One of the best dogs we've ever had. And uh, for weeks, 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 uh, we're going through this. But we're going to win this battle. Amen? In this story, it's a story basically about Peter. And he's one of the first people I want to meet when I get to heaven. Peter was not so unlike you and me. He, he loved the Lord with all of his heart. He even pledged to God that they better not come get you because they'll have to kill me too. He made statements like that. When they came to arrest Jesus in the garden, Peter grabbed one of the soldier's swords and cut off the head guy. The, the, the soldier cut his ear off, laying there in the mud. Jesus had to pick it up and dust it off, and he put it up here like this. And when he pulled his hand away, that ear was just like new. But Peter, what shall we do with Peter? He was impulsive. He was also afraid. Now here, in Matthew 14, verse 23, when he had sent the multitudes away, he, this is Jesus, he came up into a mountain apart to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. I hope you are all developing a habit of praying alone. Go in your bathroom, go in a closet, shut the door, get away from the phone, get away from the television. You know, that phone, I guess it's a great invention, but it about drives me insane. Did you turn yours off most of the time? Yeah, way to go. Except when I needed him. But the ship, now I don't know how, how did Jesus know this? He's up on a mountain. Uh, they're going across the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a lake. It's a big lake. It's the main source of fresh water for the entire nation of Israel. They're going across. He stayed there to pray. There's a storm, and you could say, well, he saw the storm, he figured it out. But I think he knew more than that. The ship, in verse 24, was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. 
What's that word mean? It wasn't on their side. And in the fourth watch of the night, now he didn't say the first watch, the second watch, the third watch, or the fourth night watch. Look at me. God will not always come and rescue you in the first watch of the night. You'd like him to, but you got to remember what I told you. Sometimes there's a test going on. How far are you going to go? Are you going to crumble? How far are you going to go? How much have you learned? How much have you gripped and got a hold of fear and thrown it out of your life instead of letting fear strangle you? How far? Are you brave? We haven't got to that yet. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. Somebody came up with that euphemistic word, the great sea walker. The first time I ever heard that, I just got chills all over me. Come on, imagine that. There are places in the Sea of Galilee where the water is over 900 feet deep. That's deep for a lake. It's filled with fish. They, they're still fishing there today. But in the time of Jesus, it was a main source of protein for, for the nation of Israel. And there were lots of boats out there. But most of them knew better than to be out there during a, a, a storm. Sometimes these storms just appeared. They came and surprised everybody. In the fourth watch, they saw him walking on the sea. God, can you close your eyes and just imagine that? The wind's blowing. They've got a couple of sails on this boat. They've had to pull them down because the wind is ripping the, the sails down. The ship is rolling and rocking. Water's coming over the side into the boat. The boat's filling up with water. They're freaking out. They can't control the boat. They can't make it go forward or backward. They are at the mercy of the wind. It's pretty frightening. <laughs> Actually, there's a lot of things that are frightening in life. Amen? And when the disciples, verse 26, saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a spirit. <laughs> now they saw Jesus. I assume they knew it was Jesus. They thought it was a ghost. Have anybody here ever seen a ghost? And we know uh, what ghosts are, and I'm going to shock you a little bit. Ghosts are actually demons that are, in, in, they are uh, taking the personality, usually of someone that, that you knew that, that died, and uh, the purpose of it is to fool you. There was a, a very famous uh, Episcopalian uh, rector in New York, and I'll think of his name, I hope, in a minute. Uh, he had a son. His son had died, and he, he was so heartbroken, he, he wanted to hear from his son. He went to, he made a bad mistake. Please listen to me. He went to a medium a medium usually is a woman. A medium is a person that you can pay and supposedly they can go into the spirit world and contact your lost loved one and bring them back so you can have a conversation with them. Unfortunately, it's not who you think it is and you will always be deceived. Some of you in here have probably been to mediums. And oh, it got sneaky back there. How many of you remember, remember that little board game and it had a little triangle device on it? What was the name of that? 
Ouija board, and everybody touched. And in the middle of the triangle was a magnifying glass, and there was the alphabet on the board. Now, I want to shock you. First time I ever saw one of those, I was dating a woman in college. Her name was Lita, L-E-T-A. Thought I was desperately in love. Went out uh, to see Ed. He was living in San Diego. I don't know where you got it, but it's your fault. Now he, I think he was either out to see or he's going to work. But my sister was there. My mother was there. And, uh, we got that Ouija board out, and we all put our fingers on it, and we did this, did that. And finally somebody said, well, who's John going to marry? I went, that's easy. I'm going to marry Lita. So we put our hands on it, and went over to L. <laughs> and then it went to E, I mean to I. Wait a minute, something's wrong. And then it went to Z, and it stopped. I kid you not. There's a devil, and he will ruin your life if you get involved in some of these things. That very easily, I was, I was not saved then. That very easily could have, uh, later on particularly, when I did meet Liz, and, and there, there we got serious with one another, that could have been a real problem in me coming to the Lord. There's all kinds of things out there. You've got to be very careful. Please hear me. Know what your children are doing. Uh, yes. And by the way, when you get rid of those things, God will not let you just throw them away. Right? Give me another example. Liz and I were living out in Loving. It was a terrible thing. I had the world's greatest collection of Playboy magazines. Yes, your pastor was hooked up. Now, in Loving, everybody there for a trash receptacle had a 55-gallon drum. Now, these guys would come by with a truck, and two of them usually grab the drum, one on each side, and they'd throw it over the side of the truck and, you know, shake it and put it back. Now, the Lord, uh, I had just been newly saved, and the Lord was dealing with me about things in my house that shouldn't be in there. And he got through to me finally. I said, okay, I'm going to get rid of that. And the Lord said, how are you going to get rid of it? I'll just throw it in that 55-gallon drum out there. He said, no, you won't. I said, why, Lord? He said, because your trash man has a problem with pornography. I didn't even know the trash man. So you know what I did? I went I took that whole thing and I don't know how many boxes. Boxes, probably worth a fortune. I had every edition of Playboy there was. I took them out there. I didn't just throw them in there. I ripped up every one, one by one. I put them in there. Then I got some gasoline and poured it in that drum and got the fire going, and when I got through, every sheet of every book I burnt to a cinder. And you know what? I felt so good when that was over with. You've got to be careful what's in your house, guys.
screamed while he was burning it. There was a guy in Texas, and uh, I can't remember his name. He was a very, very wealthy man who got saved under James Robinson's ministry. Can't remember the guy's name. He was so rich. He, he collected, listen to this, he collected the world's foremost collection of jade carvings. Unfortunately, they were all demonic, false gods, pagan gods. And so James Robinson went to him and said, you got to get rid of that. He said, well, okay, I, I really don't want to, but I will. I'll sell it. He said, no, you can't sell it. What are you talking about? He said, you're going to have to get rid of it. And you got to destroy it. Now, we're talking about millions of dollars. The highest grade jade in the world. Here's what they did. They took all of that jade out into the front of his house in the driveway, and they both got little ball-peen hammers, and they started breaking them. Uh, I've read this uh, story. As they were breaking them, a few minutes went by, and pretty soon, every time they hit one of those, it screamed. What was happening? The demons that were in those pieces of jade were being forced to come out, vacate their place where they lived and go somewhere else. Now, a lot of you, you don't understand how serious this is. You may have, how many of you have seen those little laughing Buddhas? Little Buddha with his hands over his head and a big pot belly. How many of you have seen one of those? I've seen them all over town. You've got to be careful. That you, I went to a lady's house in um, Texas having all kinds of problems with her. Her son was a senior. He had, he, was, he had even hit his mother more than once. And he was away when, I, when the, Ron Griffith and I got there. He was gone somewhere. So she took us down to his room. He had it locked. Didn't know she had a key. He un she unlocked his door. We went in his bedroom, and I thought I'd just walked into hell. The wall was covered with these uh, acid rock uh, album covers of Kiss, but worse than that, there were demonic faces. The whole room was covered with it. The room was filled with marijuana smell and marijuana butts all over the floor. And we, uh, we started praying and, uh, again, screaming. These things were leaving, and they weren't happy about it. Listen, you got to clean your house. If you come to a new city and moving there, you got to remember, unless you built that house, there are people that lived there before you did, and you don't know anything about them. And so a lot of you have called me, and I appreciate it. I, uh, I will go to your house that you've just moved into. We will anoint every entrance and exit to your house, the windows, the doors, the air vents, all of it. And we will cast out everything that's not of the Lord. And then you will find that you have a house filled with peace. Okay, I don't know how I got off that onto that subject, but there you go. They said it's a spirit. They thought it was a ghost, verse 27. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Now here's Peter in the boat watching all this. He wants to be like Jesus so badly. And you know what? That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But he, he just do, he didn't know how to quite go about it. Now look at what he does here. And Peter, in verse 28, answered him and said, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come out there. 
And in verse 29, he, Jesus said, come on. Now I want you to see something here. Peter has got his eyes on Jesus. Jesus is performing one of the most unbelievable miracles that has ever been recorded in history. He's watching him on the water, and he keeps his eyes on him, and as he does, he flips his leg over the side of the boat, then the other, and he slides down. And you know what? He stands up on solid something. And all this time, he's looking at Jesus, and he takes a step, and he's walking on water. You say, well, what happened? Here's what happened. The same thing that happens to you. Sometimes it's a test. Sometimes you get a D minus. Maybe you get an F. Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and he looked at his circumstances. Come on. And you know what he said? The wind's blowing. The, it's raining like crazy. I'm in the middle of a lake 900 feet deep. I can't be doing this. And he was right. He couldn't. And then he began, well, let's see what he did. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But, everybody, uh, everybody say but. First time you get a but in your confession, you're, you're lost. You're down the tube. But, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning, and by the way, didn't we, uh, didn't we come to a conclusion uh, last week, I think it was, that Peter, even though he was a big man, strong as an ox, he was a coward. He was a coward. Didn't want to be a coward. He wanted people to look up to him. In fact, he was one of the leaders in this group of 12. But he was a coward. He was afraid. And, begin, and as he began to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, now, you know, I want you to notice this carefully. Jesus didn't just pat him on the head. You poor little thing. I'm so sorry I scared you. Come on. It's time to grow up. Look at it. Immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and he caught him. Look at me. Jesus will always save you. But he may have a talk with you when it's over. Look at it. He caught him and he said to them, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? In other words, why did you doubt? And when they were come in, into the ship, the wind stopped. You know, there was another story uh, crossing that same lake. Jesus was in, under the front of the ship. There's always a little place where they cover the ship with wood. And uh, he's under there sleeping. Another storm, the waves are roaring. They're over there shaking. How can you sleep with all this going on? You know, that word faith has changed the world. That word faith can change your family, can change your kids, can change your finances. It can change your health. It can change everything. I can tell you the word. I can show you the word. I can teach it to you. But until you get to the place where you can believe it for yourself, it won't do you any good. With this word, without the ingredient of faith that goes with it, is just another book. It's when your faith grabs a hold of the word that it becomes a living thing. I was watching uh, Levin last night. How many of you saw that with uh, John, the guy in San Antonio? 
Yeah, John Hagee was on there. Man, I, you, how many of you saw that? Anybody? It was unbelievable. And they, you know, Levin is a Jew. He's not a Christian. And, but he had, the, the subject of the Bible came up, and he asked him, well, what's the deal about the, this book? And Hagee says, it's not just a book. It's the word of the living God out of his own mouth. Now, see, you've got to have faith to believe that. The Bible declares that men of renown in past days, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, wrote down the words out of the mouth of God, and that's what that book is. Now, they, they, when they were finished, they had what was called a canonized version of the Bible. Those men put together the Word of God. And there were some books that other people thought should have been included. But they weren't because those men under the influence of the Spirit didn't think they should. Did you have a question or comment? No? Did you want to say something? No? You okay? Okay. Uh, now I want, to, I want to share something with you. You may think that when God sees somebody who's grasping for the gifts of the Spirit... And wanting to do more for God. You may think that they have a problem and they ought to be dealt with. Look at me. I believe that God is looking for people that want more of him. I believe God's looking for people who want to be used by him. I believe God is looking. Just like this morning we had a word in tongues. This may shock you, but it's easy for people to speak a word in tongues. Uh, no offense, Ruby. You did good. Thank you. But... It's easy because they don't have to interpret it. They don't have to be responsible for what the meaning is, the translation. Somebody else has to come up, step up, and translate what was given. Or interpret is a better word. Now, when this happens, the Holy Spirit begins to move up and down these rows. He's looking for somebody who will obey him. Have you noticed in this church at about... Eight times out of ten, I'm usually the one that gives the interpretation. But have you also noticed that I don't just jump on there and do it immediately? Just like this morning, I waited and I waited. Because quite honestly, I want you to do it. I'm not trying to seek glory here. I've been using, the Lord's using me in the gifts of the Spirit for 47 years. It's not a new thing for me. I want some of you to step up there and let God use you. You, sir, have one of the greatest uh, messages, not message, but the greatest tongues I've ever heard. Yeah, you, Harley, in the purple shirt. It's one of the most profound, listen to me, it's one of the most profound languages, and I know this embarrasses you, I don't care. It's one of the best, most profound languages I have ever heard. They need to hear it too. One of these days you will hear it, and when you do, you're going to go, Wow. See, this tongue thing doesn't have anything to do with uh, wonderful, great you are, and you're wonderful and great. But it has to do with faith. Step out, open your mouth, speak. He did that one day at my mobile home, the one, same one you lived in later, Scott, out at Rocky Arroyo. In my living room on my couch, we prayed for him, and that language came out. I will never forget that as long as I live. It was wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. 
What we're talking about today is having the ability and the courage in the middle of a storm, not before and not after, but in the middle of it while it's going on, to be able to stand up and face your enemy and not just stand in front of your enemy shaking, but to take authority over what's going on. Come on. Every day of your Christian life, the devil will try to spring some trap on you to kill you or one of your kids, to steal your finances, to burn up your house. Whatever it is, he'll take it if he can get it. And you can't let him do it. You say, what do I do? You stand up and you, you speak with the power that God's given you. Amen? Now, I want you to read that scripture I was talking about. 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verse 16. John's going to put it. It's up on the board. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16. All, everybody say all. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, I told you they left some of the books that were around out. The Apocrypha, which is in the middle between the Old and New Testament in the Catholic Bible. It's not in your Bible. It's not supposed to be. The book of Enoch being one of those. Got a big thing going on now. Christians all over the world are buying the book of Enoch. They can't even keep it in, in stock in these Christian bookstores. If God had wanted you to read the, read the book of Enoch, it'd be in that book that's in your lap. Are you listening to me? Yes. Well, it goes even before that. That doesn't mean anything. There's a lot of things in the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found that, that well, go we'll, we'll come to my office, we'll talk about it more. Well, I'm not, a, I mean, I can talk about it now if you want. I'm just, I'm telling you that that is one of the things that the enemy will use to try to take away from you the true word of God. I'm not saying there's nothing any, at all of any value in it. I'm saying be careful. Okay? Uh, that's enough said on that. Okay. And thank you for the, for the question. Uh, and I don't mean to uh, skirt around these issues. Uh, I've been in this a long time. And I've seen people get uh, involved in things that later uh, had a bad influence in their life. And I don't want to see that happen to any of you. Okay? That's where I'm at on that. Notice it says the scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine. Hello? How many of you know that every one of you, everybody in this church goes through storms with your family, your children, your church? Uh, the storm is always hardest when you're alone. By the way, look at me. That's what this church is all about. The Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. This church is a family, and when you, you get in trouble, we shouldn't jump up and down and say, yeah, you're in trouble, I hope you die. No, we're supposed to help one another. 
And some of you are further along than others. Some of you have been in this a long time. Some of you have a lot of knowledge, and, and you need to use that to help the others in here that are a little bit behind you. Does everybody understand? God gives you this wisdom, not just so you can live a, a successful Christian life, but he gives you this knowledge so you can feed my sheep. You know, when it got down to it, after Jesus rose from the dead, they were out on that same lake. They looked up and they saw a man walking back and forth around a campfire on the beach. They're, Peter says, who is that? And whoever it was said, hey, have you any meat? Have you caught anything? No. <laughs> Peter says, John, who is that? John is his best friend. Jesus' best friend. He says, I think it's the Lord. The man says, throw your net over on the other side. We've already tried that. Try it again. While they're doing that, Peter dives in the water and he heads for the beach. He doesn't care about fish. He's got some unfinished business with the Lord. And he wants to get there before they get there because the business that he has with the Lord concerns his failure to support God in the middle of his greatest trial. Oh, he sounded big. They'll have to take me if they come to get you. Jesus stood up and said, before the night's over, you'll deny that you know me three times. You know the story. Today, by the way, on that very site, there is a Greek Orthodox church on the site where Peter denied the Lord. The last time he denied the Lord, he cursed. He used profanity. I don't know that blankety, 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 blank. And then guess what happened? The cock crowed, the rooster. When you go to that place in Israel, Greek Orthodox Church, up on top of the dome, is sitting a rooster. Now, I guess I was just stupid, or maybe I didn't get enough sleep the night before. Uh, we somebody took us over there. They had a curio shop, and I didn't know. Where, I didn't realize that where we were actually at was the home of Caiaphas, the high priest. Caiaphas, believe it or not, under his house, they dug, it was solid limestone, and they dug a prison under his house. They kept prisoners down there, and that's where Jesus spent the night before he died. That's where out in the front yard they had the big. A crowd cursing Jesus, throwing stuff at him. And, and they see Peter. I saw you with him. Peter said, I don't know that blankety-blank guy. And suddenly the cock crows. It's dawn. And when that lady in the curio shop said, told me all that, I said. Because see, in Israel, it's like any other place. They've got like two places for every uh, thing that happened. There's a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, supposedly where Jesus was raised from the dead. But then there is that Greek Orthodox church, and that's probably where it actually happened, where they purchased the, the land, they built a Greek Orthodox church over it, and upstairs is where they crucified him, and downstairs is where his tomb is. Peter swam to the beach and he's devastated. He's also a failure as a fisherman. That's his 
That's his trade. He's supposed to be good at it. Oh, and by the way, while he's swimming to the beach, guess what they're doing? They're bringing in the biggest load of fish that they've ever caught in their life. It's so big, it's about to burst the nets. They're doing everything. They, and they're a little bit mad at Peter, probably, because he you know, abandoned ship and heads for the beach while they're trying to drag in the net full of fish. Jesus, i got to talk to you. He comes over and Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Well, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Does that tell you what matters to God? See, a lot of us are in this for ourselves. But did you know God wants you to be in it for that person that you're sitting next to and those down the aisle and the ones behind you? Feed my sheep. Jesus looks at him the second time, Peter, do you love me? Oh, now he's feeling it. God, Jesus, you know, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. And if that weren't bad enough, Peter, do you love me? Oh, God. He's, he is railing. He's weeping. This is the third time he's asking him, and it represents the time that Peter cursed. Do you love me? Lord, feed my sheep. Now, was there forgiveness for Peter? Absolutely. And by the way, the Lord took care of Peter's cowardice problem. Just before Jesus was resurrected, I mean, he was already resurrected, but taken into heaven, he'd been there almost a month after his resurrection. And he told them, I want you to go to Jerusalem, wait in that room, and I'm going to send you a gift. And you will receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And Peter was one of those in the room. The coward. Peter the coward. There was not just 12 men in that room. It was 120 men, women, and children. Suddenly, a ball of fire appears over their head. A tongue of fire reaches down and touches every person in the room. And the Bible says they all, all of them, spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Peter was one of those. He rushes down out of the room. It's on the, the feast day uh, of Pentecost. 50 days after the last feast. 50 days, Pentecost. People all over the city from the known world there to worship the Lord. And he screams out and he gets a big crowd. They're down there. He's up here. And he starts railing on them. He uses words like, you hypocrites. Oh, he's not the same guy anymore. Look at me. If you come to Jesus, you won't be the same man or woman either. And by the way, that's why some people only come to God halfway we are creatures of habit and we don't want to be fooled with sometimes if we're honest and by the way ministry is not convenient you'll have to give up something when you become one of God's ministers because God is jealous over his sheep and I'm going to ask you a question are you brave Are you brave? I think I told you the other day I was in a home where there had been a death. There was a teacher in loving. 
they actually, he was a principal. They had called me to the house. I didn't, I knew him very well, but I didn't know the family. The cars parked everywhere, all these people in there. I walked in, I sat down, they kind of ignored me. And there was one, one woman specifically that was ignoring me. It was his sister. I didn't know it was his sister until later. I also didn't know that she was an atheist and she hated Christians. Boy, was I set up. And I, I, I said, okay, I got to do something. I took a deep breath and as she came by me, I said, ma'am, have you got a Bible? And she started screaming, get out, get up, get out of our house. We don't want any uh, goody two-shoe Christians in here. Get out. Right in front of everybody. Okay. Actually, I didn't do that. But when somebody dresses you down like that, it hurts, doesn't it? How many of you have ever had something like that happen to you? It's tough, isn't it? It's tough. But let me tell you the other side. In my years of ministry, I've, I've had that kind of experience many times. And I wish I could say to you that every time that happened later on, the people that treated me like that came and repented. But some of them did. I've had uh, people come to me, walk into my office, weeping. And they say something like this, you know, when I first met you, I hated you. You don't ever smile. I thought you were the enemy. <laughs> I didn't know you. But I found out something different. And then they take a deep breath and say, will you forgive me? Now you got to understand that sometimes it's, that's hard to do because those people did what they did in public in front of all these other people. Now they're asking you to forgive them and it's just you and them in the office. And something in you that wants to rise up and say, yeah, let's go out and get the church before they leave and get them back in here and you can apologize in front of all of them. But you can't do that. can't do that some of those people by the way came to me for counsel they came to our church and they got saved think with me I want you to think about what's at stake here when you obey God and you, you are brave and it's not easy but you rise up and you speak the word to someone who has hurt you deeply. But you speak the word and they repent, not only to you, but they repent to him. And then right there in front of you, I've seen them get on their knees in my office and ask Jesus to come into their heart. Now I'll ask you a question. If you see that, would it be worth going through what they did to you? And then I've done some of their funerals. My, my best friend, who we named John after, well, I, I shared this. I know I'm not supposed to repeat, but I'm going to share this. He was a, a bad man, his father, and he uh, was a drunk and, and some other things. But he, 
he was dying from uh, emphysema and COPD in the hospital up here. And I was so overwhelmed. I, I didn't, I mean, he had wounded me more times than you could count. Every time I went up to the hospital to see him, the room was filled with family members. They'd come in from all over. And I, I told the Lord, Lord, you've you got to help me or I won't be able to obey you. And this, this final time, I drove to town about noon and I went up to his room and it was totally empty except for him. The nurse came in and said, oh, they all went down to, downstairs to have lunch. Thank you, Lord. Now, I want you to picture this. He's over, not laying down. He's sitting on the bed with his arm on that table they give you to eat on. <gasps> I'm not exaggerating. Nobody's in the room but him and me. This is it. Am I going to be brave? Everyone in his family, uh, I won't say that. Most of the people in his family hated him. Loved his wife, hated him. He was a violent man. I, I personally watched him beat his wife many times. I, I got up from the chair I was in and I walked about halfway. I said, you know, you know things are not looking good. He said, I know. I said, have you ever asked Jesus to come into your heart and save you? He said, No. And here's the big question. I don't know if, if I ask it, will he throw a, a bottle of water at me? Will he curse me? He's one of the great cursers in Carlsbad. Do you want to know him as your Savior? Here it is. This is it. Yeah. Folks, he's dying. This is 12 o'clock. I went over there and I sat on the bed beside him. I said, I'm going to make this easy for you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and you're going to say it out loud, and you're going to mean it in your heart. Will you do that? <gasps> yeah. And he was weeping. Because, you know, when you're dying and you know you're dying, it's a, it's, it'll settle you down. When you're in good health and you're cursing everybody and beating everybody, you think it's kind of cool. But when you're dying, it's not cool. So I led him in this prayer. Lord Jesus, <clears throat> Lord Jesus. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. He repeated that. And at the end I said, please Jesus. He said, please Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my heart. Be my Savior. Be my Savior. And with your help, your help, I will follow you. I will follow you all the days of my life. All the days of my life. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. I said, did you mean that? He's weeping, both sides, weeping. Yeah. I don't think he'd ever been in a church in his life. His family were unbelievers. Seven o'clock that night, he died. Well, folks, that's cutting it close. I had people come and say, well, that's not possible. You can't bring anybody to the Lord that close to their death. Why, they got to live a little while for, for Jesus let me tell you something. Jesus knows if your heart has been touched. Amen. We did the funeral. It was a not, not in a church. They did it out at the Sunset Cemetery. 
And that's back when the guy that owned it was nuts. I'm sorry, but it's the truth. He um, he hated uh, the funeral home down on Canal Street. Denton Function, but it used to be called uh, right right after Denton sold it. Remember the tall, skinny guy that bought it? Anyway, the guy at that cemetery hated him because he was standing up against him. Because this guy was doing bad things. He had a big sign out at the cemetery. Uh, Don't use Denton Funeral Home. They're, they're horrible or whatever it said. He had a sign like that in Roswell because he owned, he, he owned one down there. And so one day I'm in there doing a funeral for Denton. Now, I'm not lying to you. As we, I got back in the hearse and we're driving out of the cemetery and he's throwing the finger to me and Denton funeral home and all the people that came out there, the visitors, and he held that finger up till all of us were gone. True story. And that cemetery was, they never mowed the yard, there were weeds everywhere, it was horrible. But let me tell you what happened in that place. God's everywhere. See, that, what that man didn't know was that the devil was using him and it was really sad. The city now owns that cemetery, thank God. And it looks nice out there. We got to where they were going to bury him. and The casket was there and all of the family. Now they didn't know anything about what happened in the hospital. They asked me to do the funeral. You know, when you do a funeral, you've got, uh, you've got a lot of power in your hands. And I started telling that story of going to the hospital at noon and leading him to the Lord. And when I got to that story, they, I hear him sniffling. And, and I mean, I looked around the crowd. There was, there was a bunch of people there. And, and they were crying all over this crowd. They were crying. They were weeping. After it was over, I had at least 20 of them came to me. We, you don't know what that SOB did. Oh, excuse me. You don't know what he did to me, but I am a Christian. And, and if you tell me that that happened, I believe it. And I'm glad. I'm glad for the sake of his wife that that happened. His wife actually came to my church before he died. She came to my church and she got saved. She was 82, I think, when she died. And I was up, in, and this was after he, had, he was gone, but I was up in her room in the hospital and, and she had such peace. She, she knew she was dying. She said, she said, I'll never forget this. She said, you know, John, I've lived a wonderful life. And I'm sitting there thinking, are you nuts? You lived with that guy? She said, I've lived a wonderful life. And you know what? I found Jesus at your church. And that's where I'm going. Big old smile on her face. She died that afternoon. Those are the good memories. Mayor uh, Walter Gerald. He was not a fan of our family. He, he got cancer. And it was my honor, privilege, to go to his room one day. And now they don't put names on the doors, but they did then. 
I didn't even know he was up there. I didn't even know he was sick. I, I was coming from another room, and I looked up at the door, and there's his name, Walter Gerald's name. So I'm, now look at me. I'm faced with a, a quandary. I know he hates me. I know he hates my dad. Don't know why, but I know he does. What do I do? I go over and I tap on the door and I open it and he's on the phone. And he looks up. Look at this. He looks up when he sees me. You know what he does? Excuse me, I'll have to call you back. Click. This guy hates me. I went over to his bed and he told me what was what was going on. And I said, Can I pray for you? Would you please? He starts weeping. One of the most powerful men in Carlsbad or New Mexico, that whole family. And he gave his life to the Lord. I'd gone on a trip to Europe. They didn't know that, and I forgot to tell them, I guess. I was gone three weeks. I came back, and I thought, I better go to his house. I went over to his house, and there were cars parked everywhere. Huge house. I went and knocked, and his wife, Linda, uh, opened the door, and she fell into my arms just wailing. Where have you been? We've been trying to find you. He's almost dead. He, he's back there in his bedroom, but he won't know you. He doesn't even know me anymore. So she took me back to the bedroom and opened it. Now picture this. He's laying on the bed, a pair of pajamas on, but he's about this big around. And all the people that came to see him are in that bedroom, laying on the floor, sitting on the floor. Now get this. When she opened the door, he looked up. You know what he did? Same thing he did in the hospital. I walked over there, and I said, Walter, can I do anything for you? He said, pray. You, you got to pray. And I made everybody in the room stand up and come over and we circled him and held hands and we prayed. He died that night. When we did the funeral, it was at the First Methodist Church. Leslie, were you at that funeral? It was huge. There were two past governors of New Mexico there. I mean, there were some high... And I, I got to sing the Lord's Prayer. And you know, this wasn't what I was going to talk about, but I, I, I want all of you to remember that even though we might have some bad thoughts about Peter, the one thing I want you to remember about him is he wanted to be like Jesus. But you see, by the time Jesus got to him, Peter was already a coward. This morning before church, I was watching YouTube. There was a woman who's happily married now, but when she was three years old, somebody in the family raped her. She's three years old. When that was over for, for years, she thought she was of no value. She didn't think she was good for anything because that's what the devil told her. She 
Something happened to her. Uh, she was already a mother. She had two kids. I think she was in a car wreck. And they were at the hospital. Her mother was beside her at the bed. And she died. And she went to heaven. And Jesus was there. And I won't tell you all that was said, but one of the things Jesus told you, told her was, honey, he called her honey, you are so valuable to me. You're valuable to me. You have great value. By the way, when she met Jesus, she looked up and saw a little girl about three years old carrying an Easter basket. And she finally realized that that was her. She said the little girl just looked radiant and beautiful. And that was the first time in her whole life that she ever felt that she was beautiful. You know, that's what every woman likes to feel, that they're beautiful. God puts that in you. But meanwhile, back at the hospital, they're beating on her chest. They're blowing into her mouth. They're trying to get her. And she, she looks at Jesus and she says, I need to go back and, and tell my mother about this. And he says, well, the choice is yours. And so she sees the little girl turn away from Jesus. Then she stops. I'll be back. And he said, I know. And she found herself in her body. She wakes up. And she tells her mother, I just saw Jesus and he told me I was beautiful. You know, your God, think about this as I close. That man that was my best friend's dad, what, what happened to him to make him what he was? What happened to him? Was he just evil? You know, I don't think any of us are just evil. Do you think that? Maybe somebody raped him. Maybe somebody abused him. Maybe they knocked him around. I don't know what happened, but he decided his personality, personality took him to a place of violence to get even with those people that hurt him. And because he went that way, the devil had him right there in his hand. He, he wouldn't go to church. He'd throw anybody out of his house that he thought was a Christian. So he was cheating himself. But you know what I think about him now? I know where he is. Let's pray. Now, I, I want all of you to know how special you are, every one of you. I want to say thank you for your prayers for, for us for the last five weeks. Then we couldn't have made it without you. And that little dog's still alive. Some people aren't dog lovers. You've got to be a dog lover to know what we've been through. Father, as we go today, we ask that you will go with us. I'm praying that everyone will have a wonderful day, a wonderful afternoon of rest, a wonderful night's sleep. Lord, be with our church. You know exactly what we need. Lord, I ask you to be with Cindy. Uh, she's, she got there. She's okay in Oklahoma. Her address is in your bulletin. Drop her a line. She did a good job here. Father, as we go, we bless you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, I want you to hug on somebody that before you leave, not somebody you know, find somebody you don't know.
You are dismissed. This has been a broadcast of New Song Christian Fellowship. Thank you for joining us today. If you wish to partner with us and support this ministry, you can give online at newsongcarlsbad.churchcenter.com forward slash giving. Your gift is tax deductible. Please share this broadcast with your friends and neighbors and help us spread the good news of Jesus Christ all across the globe. May the Lord richly bless you.